Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Welcome to the first ever failed critic podcast, where a few normal people aim to string a few sentences together to review cinema's new releases, as well as the films we've been watching this week on DVD, Netflix, Love Film, or maybe even something we've managed to dig out on VHS somewhere in the back of a cupboard, uh, to give you an idea of what you might want to watch or what you might want to avoid. Uh, I'm joined by James Diamond. Hello. And Jerry McCauley. Hello. And I'm Steve Norman. And James is just going to well, introduce us all a bit more and tell you all why we're all doing this podcast. Well, Steve, um, as I'm sure everyone is aware, there is definitely a shortage of uninformed armchair film critics spouting nonsense into the nation's collective ears. Uh there's not enough film podcasts out there, and uh, we're here to add to the the landfill of podcasts, the oral landfill, so uh, as it may be. Uh, we're not trained film critics. Um, I, I did do a film studies module before I dropped out of university, but we. Uh, I just wanted to get together with some people and chat about films that I love, chat about films that I hate, and chat about films that interest me, really. Um, now, we provisionally called this podcast Failed Critic, which sums me up. Uh, a failed writer, a failed critic. However, I did have a few other names in mind, uh, and, and I hope you'll just bear with me here. I did think of Hell in a Celluloid. I uh, quite like the idea that we get together, maybe oil up and fight over our favourite films. Um, I also quite liked uh, Flixomatosis, just because it's a pun. Um, that's me, that's simple. Finally, I'm quite proud of this one, The Human Cinematopede. Um <laughs> Not only, it's got cinema in its name, so that, yeah, that's good for search results. Uh, it's a pun on a film, but I think it works as a concept as well, because it's basically three people stitched, ass to mouth, and then we feed films in one end, and they pass through our collective digestive critical tracks, and, and arrive at a pile of fecal matter at the end. I thought that seemed appropriate, but I think Failed Critic will, will pass the iTunes sensors a little bit better. Quite possibly, yeah. Yes, unfortunately I wasn't as witty to come up with anything quite as good as that. Um, I've just got too much time on my hands, that's yeah. the problem. <laughs> well, Jerry, did you get any? No. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going to talk with any uh, fantastic <laughs> horror films. Never here. mind. Right. I think we'll stick with Fell Critic, though. I think it works. Um, Unless right, one of us uh, ends up getting a job out of this as a critic, and then it it kind of doesn't work anymore. Yeah, well, it be... Yeah, yeah, it could be quite meta. It could be a bit like, uh, 
um, community or uh, anything that Charlie Kaufman's ever written. There we go. You can just say it's like a postmodern film blog, you know. You can go yes. Like, bring in all the hipsters. Oh, yeah, got to get the hipsters in. They're listening to those podcasts and things like that. We need the hipster audience. Right. Well, I, I, I really don't know you two at all, do I? Uh, we, we've conversed a little bit via email and uh, the uh, Football 365 forum over the last week or so. But I thought it would be quite fun. Uh, and, uh, you may have, you may not know, but you'll soon guess from my demeanour, I run training courses. So I like to have a little icebreaker when I do a training course. And I thought we'd have a little icebreaker here. Um, and what I, wanted, I want to know if, uh, if Harvey Weinstein was going to back an Oscar-nominated biopic uh, of your life, who would play you in that film? Well, I'd love to say somebody like Brad Pitt or somebody who's actually attractive and, you know. But judging by what my friends have said, you're not going to get in the, the biopic of my film now because the, the great man is unfortunately dead. But it would be John Candy because... I'm overweight and good at making people <laughs> laugh. Do you know what? There's worse people than John Candy, I think, to, to play you in a film. Oh, I like that. He's, he's got the big, jolly charisma going. And he so was, it's better than Jonah Hill. Yes. Yeah, that would probably be, like the, unfortunately, the modern-day equivalent of overweight and, and a bit funny, now that Seth yeah. Rogen's decided to lose weight. Or, or Jack Black. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a great element in, so... I'd rather be the late John Candy than... Just played by an animatronic corpse, I love it. They can do holograms now, they just fill up with Tupac, I mean... Exactly, and I think we're all waiting for the day that John Candy gets turned into a hologram. For Cool Runnings 2, possibly, or... Yeah. Preferably if it's a rapping John Candy at some kind of festival. Yeah. Yeah, he's better the hologram. I am so there. <laughs> uh, for me, I uh, couldn't really think of anyone. The only one I could think of was uh, purely because he looks a bit like me, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He's oh. like me. If I was scrawny, and also a very well-dressed, rich, multi-millionaire movie star. So obviously, <laughs> the resemblance isn't quite there. But, you know, uh, you know, I'd like for my teenage years and then get someone like Tom Hardy or something like that to maybe look really, really cool, even though I'm not. So we'll, we'll go for him for the for the initial bit at least. I like it. <laughs> yes. No, I, I'd watch that. I, I'm 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 queuing up for popcorn for that. Oh, they're two great actors, to be fair. So yeah. If, if I turn out to be Tom Hardy in my later years, I'll be uh, I'll be pretty happy. So I, I think you would be. He's he's one of my man crushes at the moment. Oh yes. I love Tom Hardy. <laughs> 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 Everything. <laughs> My secret man crush, not so secret anymore. I had a think about it and uh, I, I thought, to be honest, I'd probably be quite a minor character in the movie of my life. Uh, we, <laughs> we all seem quite de- self-deprecating people here, so let's continue that down that route. Um, yeah, basically all my friends, people who would be in my life, are better looking than me, are more interesting. So I'm going for Clint Howard. Now, who is Clint Howard? It's Ron Howard's brother that has appeared in about 200 films, but no one ever knows who he is. That's me. He's He's been in Parenthood. 
He's been in all the Austin Powers films. He's in Frost Nixon. He's even in Arrested Development, uh, which to me makes him a hero already. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going for Clint Howard, Ron Howard's uglier, louder. Was he in Spaceballs as well with John Candy? I think he was. I think he was. <laughs> he's, I, looked at it, I looked him up on IMDb this week, and he's been in, I think it's 207 films. Um, and I bet he's had about three lines in each of them. Because he only gets nice. he's Ron Howard's brother. Yeah, it's nice work if you can get it. Has he been in any Ron Howard films? Or is he... Yeah, I believe uh, Ron Howard directed Parenthood, so he's yeah. definitely in that one. It, I bet he's in Apollo 13. He's got to be. He's got to be in every Ron Howard film somewhere. Otherwise, that would be an awkward Thanksgiving, wouldn't it, if he, Ron he, Howard made a film and didn't cast he, him. he does have the kind of air about him as somebody who sort of sits at a bank of computers in a control room somewhere. Yeah, yeah, just like the annoying IT guy or something yeah. like that. The guy who's come in and, oh, no... Turn yeah. it off, turn it back on not, again, that kind of thing. Not the guy in, in Armageddon who's in the room who sort of fiddles all the code so they can turn off the bomb on the asteroid. He's the guy who sat next to him. Yeah, he's yeah. the guy that kind of like turns a blind eye or doesn't notice. Yeah. yeah. He, he's an accidental hero yeah. at best. And that, that actually, yeah, that also sums me up. I might put that on my tombstone when I die. <laughs> accidental hero at best. There you go. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> You've got to have a bit more self-belief than that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd just take Ron Howard's brother. <laughs> Died. Uh, shall we move on to then the first new release that we're going to review? Yes. Uh, the Cabin in the Woods, starring Kristen Connolly, Chris Hensworth, Richard Jenkins, and directed by Josh Whedon, tells the story of what you might think is a typical horror teen slasher movie of five teenagers young people going off into the woods for the weekend but it's not quite all as it seems yeah I'm going to be honest here I haven't managed to get to the cinema to watch this yet but every single person I've spoke to who's seen it has said the same thing and then they've gone are you going to see it and I go yeah and then they go right well I won't tell you anything about it then because (laughs) as you say it's not as it seems so they don't want to spoil anything so Good luck to you two to discuss a film without giving <laughs> anything whatsoever away. But it sounds like it's so off the wall that you can't, can't even talk about it. it. It was very good, very entertaining. And a lot of these films that come out now that are kind of just, you know, horror films, teens, they're just, they're just sort of generic and the same. And it doesn't really shock you or surprise you or scare you or make you jump. And you can predict what's going to happen. It's sort of by the books and they're watchable at best. And that's about it, really. But this one was was very entertaining. It was definitely something new on sort of an old formula. And I expect that people who watch a lot more horror films and films like that than me will sort of notice little nods and homages to to other films of that genre. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think it's one of those films that um, you need to have a little bit of cine literacy about you to really enjoy it because. I've spoken to a few people, um, and they didn't, they, they didn't see the hype. They didn't see what the fuss was about. And I said, do you like horror films? Not really. And that, it is definitely designed for horror films. I'll tell you what, it's almost as if it has been genetically created in a laboratory for me as well. I'll be honest, because, um, not only have we got, uh, it's been, and I've, it's been co-written, uh, and produced by Joss Whedon. Uh, I think it was directed by Drew Goddard, but it, yeah, it's basically from the mind of Joss Whedon. I love Joss Whedon. Uh, I love him from Buffy. I love him from Dollhouse, which I think was a 
massively underrated television program. Uh, even Doctor uh, Horrible's uh, House of Terrible uh, musical webcast thing. Also, I looking at it, he actually fixed Toy Story. Toy Story was a complete mess, and he came in and wrote the script that they basically worked on. So the man was behind Toy Story. He wrote all the dialogue for Speed. This is a cinematic genius, in my opinion. He did also um, in, in Waterworld, though. So I'm yeah, or, yeah, and it is quite interesting that you, know, you read interviews with him afterwards, and he says, oh, yeah, none of my work was left in Waterworld, but I basically did Toy Story and Speed, which are two. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, I, I, maybe there's a little bit of creative license there. Um, Waterworld was quite early on in his career, and I'll forgive him, Waterworld, I'll be honest. <laughs> But you've also got some brilliant actors in there, not only um, kind of some regulars of uh, his work, like uh, Frank Kranz and Amy Acker, but you've also got Bradley Whitford, um, who I adored in The West Wing, and I've been determined for him to have a role after The West Wing, and he doesn't seem to get many. Um, and Richard Jenkins, um, and Bradley Whitford and Richard Jenkins are the two people you meet at the beginning of the film. So no spoilers here. Two people you meet at the beginning of the film in some weird control room. That's all I'm going to say. But that's in the first thirty seconds. Without giving any, um, without giving away any spoilers, those two are brilliant. They are and, absolutely fantastic, and, aren't and, they? And yeah. The, the film is a lot. You know, it's quite funny. And those two are probably, you know, they're really good as sort of. I'm not sure if they're, meant, they're not really meant to be comic relief, but you know, because the whole film's got funny bits throughout the, you know, duration of the film. But they are, you know, pretty good. They do make you laugh. As a duo, definitely, uh, and you could—they've you, got great comic time. They are just basically two old pros because the main cast are, you know, pretty much newcomers. Because right? Chris Hemsworth, this is before he did Thor and everything, because it was filmed in two thousand and nine. So this was before he became a big star. Um, but yeah, Richard Jenkins has done loads of Coen Brothers films, so you know that he knows how to make funny work on screen as well, and it, it really shows. And like you say. Um, it's really difficult to talk about this film without giving too much away, but you can I think you can say it deconstructs the horror film brilliantly. Um, horror films will love it, and people who love monsters will love it. That's all, you know, it is about pure horror. Um, I got a, I managed to somehow sneak a, a tweeted review into The Guardian yesterday, which they published on their website. Go out really slack quality control at the weekend obviously but um i said basically it's quite literally evil dead meets buffy the vampire slayer even cleverer than it thinks it is i was blown away by this film uh like i say i was already set up to love this film so you can take what i say with a bit of a pinch of salt but if you're from the same viewpoint as me and that is you want to see something funny and clever and someone do something different with the horror film um I think it's the most interesting horror film since Scream, and uh, possibly even since Wes Craven's New Nightmare. It, it is kind of a parody, isn't it? Without really being sort of a ridiculous parry, like scary movie or something like that. It is, it is a little bit of a parody on the horror film. Definitely. It doesn't take itself too seriously. It's got its tongue in cheek. Um, but I think there are some great scary action set pieces. And uh, Steve, I know you've seen it. Um, so, you know, Near the end, I, I, no, I don't want to say, there are just some great action set pieces, some brilliant yeah. cinematic bits where you go, I, I jumped a couple of times, but some of it just went, <laughs> <laughs> I can barely put it into words. Um, yeah, it, it is crazy. It is very visual and it is very funny and I highly recommend and it. There's also a pretty decent cameo towards the end, but I'm not going to say who yeah. it is or what their role is, but 
you know, it just comes out of nowhere. It's a, you know. Yeah. And again, I didn't read any reviews beforehand, and uh, apparently some newspapers spoiled that cameo. Shame on them. Um, but yeah, I try not to read any reviews. Try not to listen to your friends talking about it. I know that I'm, I'm hoping people listening to this have, have seen it. Uh, and those who haven't, turn this off now and go and watch it and then come back and mm. listen to everything that we've just said. And if you have seen it, tell us what you thought of it. Tell us if you agree with us or if you disagree with us. Tell us if you hated it um, and why yes. you hated it if you did or why you liked it if you did. But yeah, it's, it is, you know, on one, well, it's not on one level, but it is, you know, the typical horror story. You've got five teenagers going to the woods. You've got the slutty one, the innocent one, the, the, the you know, sporty jock one the stoner yeah. and the clever one and they obviously you know it, it, that part of the film pans out like a lot of horror films do but then there's so much more to it than that exactly it, it's almost uh, a film within a film it's a universe within a universe it's absolutely it, as the audience you almost feel like puppeteers um you are voyeurs on what is happening to these people um and it, it, it distances you from them in a way that other horror films don't, but you get to see the mechanics. I, I don't want to go on and on about it because I, I'll, eventually I'll accidentally spoil it. But um, I did just want to... Uh, what I really loved about this film as well um, is that, and I, this is from a personal standpoint, the studio wanted to make it 3D and Joss Whedon and Drew Goddard held out and made sure it wasn't made 3D, which I think would have completely distracted from a lot of the work here. And I think it's really good to see filmmakers getting their way against studios who are pursuing 3D for more profit at the expense of, in my opinion, better filmmaking. Well, but that's just my own personal bugbear. <laughs> no, 3, 3D doesn't always look brilliant. And No, there's a lot and, of and dark it, scenes in this, and with 3D glasses on, you wouldn't be able to see a thing and it uh, does, due to how dim it would be. It's still irritating. They've got to find a way of doing 3D without having to wear glasses. Yeah, I, I wear it, glasses, and uh, put, having to put a second pair of glasses on my face, just that, that to me is the, no, I'm not going for that. Couple of couple of minor plot holes I found, that aren't going to yeah. spoil the plot for anyone, but just two things I noticed right near the beginning. If they're going to a cabin in the woods, why are they travelling in a camper van? And That's the, a good point, actually, yeah. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> is, is the camper van big enough to find them, or do they just really need the room? I don't. I think they could have got there in a, in a reasonably sized car, and <laughs> they didn't seem to be travelling for a long time on the way there. No, no, um, it must have a very small petrol tank mm. to need to fill up on the way. That that yeah. was, you know, that was ludicrous. Mm. Um, oh, the guy, the guy at the garage was brilliant as well. Yeah, it, he yeah, was... <laughs> he was absolutely fantastic. Um, all all the extra little characters were brilliant. Um, so many great nods. I ca I can't recommend it highly enough. And we are now getting into the world of Joss Whedon because uh, he's got Avengers Assemble coming out this week. The man, so, uh, you know, go see this. Say you were into Joss Whedon before he became big and famous. It's, we are, uh, we aren't only reviewing Joss Whedon films on this podcast. We will I promise. We will review <laughs> films by other people. The, the other the other little the little plot thing that annoyed me. It's not really a big thing. Was that the girl, the redheaded girl, forget her name. At the beginning of the film, you see her in her room, just in a you know, in her underwear and a t-shirt, yeah. and you think, you know, that's a that's a great start to the film. It's got my attention straight away. But she's got <laughs> she's got the curtains drawn, the windows wide open. Yet she gets bothered when her friend's boyfriend notices that she hasn't got any trousers on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, do you know what? That's just American teens for you. They're they're, they're fickle. Yeah. And, uh, Standards. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think we'll, uh, be doing this podcast with a rating system because, you know, films are quite, it's quite hard to fix a rating for films, but it's definitely worth a watch, Cabin in the Woods. It's very good. Yes, definitely. If you like cinema, I think you'll at least appreciate it. I think the, the whole intrigue of everyone reviewing it and, and not wanting to go into detail as well is quite, it's quite good for promoting the film. Like, I'm desperate to see it simply because everyone I speak to won't tell me anything about it, but just tell them <laughs> it's really good. So, that is a really good marketing ploy, actually, isn't it? <laughs> well, uh, from from a marketing perspective, to have a film that everyone talks about yet doesn't talk about just tells you to go and see it. You know, you're not put off by them revealing what's going on. You're not put off by someone explaining the story to you and you're thinking, oh, well, actually, that doesn't sound like my cup of tea because everyone just tells you, oh, just go and watch it. Yeah. So you're increasing your sales. Although I've noticed it's not even in the top 10 of the UK box office. I know, shame. Shame on, shame on us. Uh, Luminaries of Street Dance 2 right now, which, uh, oh. and, and Wrath of the Titans is absolutely killing it, fifth place. Oh. oh, no. Oh, I feel sick. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I expect Battleships up there as well, which just looks, oh, yes. which looks like, you know, Transformers, but worse, if that's even possible. <laughs> I saw one of my favourite ever, uh, in terms of how terrible it is, um, poster tags ever i usually hate when it says something like from the studio that bought you because that generally means um from none of the creative people it's just we share a studio but this was from the toy maker that bought you transformers comes battleship <laughs> and then hasbro i was like that is just the most tenuous link they are, we made transform. Yeah, we make battleships. That's going to be a good film. Oh, shocking! It's, it's kind of like on those posters that if your wife was an excellent cook and then you made a meal and said from the same kitchen of exactly, exactly the same. Thank you. You put it much more succinctly <laughs> than I could try. Yeah. Uh, well, on the topic of battleship as well, I don't think there's a, a sentence that you could put on a poster that, that will put me off a film more than starring Rihanna. I mean, yes. that is just <laughs> a big advert. Do not watch this film. It's just, yes, uh, I, I she can't be good. I, I hate to prejudge things before I see them, but there's no way she can be good in that film. I'm, I'm not going to lie, I have no intention of finding out how good in that film <laughs> is. So there's, just, there's, there's no way I'm piling with my cash to watch that film. It just looks like... I'm sure if you're, if you're a real special effects geek, it's probably quite interesting. But other than that, I imagine it's a pretty useless film. No, uh, no, I agree. So... Uh, so we're saying, do go and watch Cabin in the Woods, and despite the fact we haven't seen it, do not go and watch Battleship. Yeah, we're, we're prejudging. <laughs> not even two for one on an orange Wednesday. Just dodge it. No. Watch something. <laughs> no. Stay out. I don't know. Watch something else. Um, yeah, we'll be back in part two with what we like to call Triple Bill. Um, we'll explain it all after this brief musical interlude. This is Triple Bill, where each week, the three of us will be uh, selecting our favourite three films from a, a certain you know, criteria or genre of films. Um, you know, but maybe not the best three films from that area, but certainly our favourite three. This week, we've decided to go with our Desert Island movies. 
So basically the three films that we could watch pretty much over and over again if we were stuck on a desert island armed with nothing more than a portable DVD player and a seemingly endless supply of battery or an unknown source of plugging it in somewhere on this deserted island. Um, and we'll also be taking listener select, you know, selections for this part of the podcast. Um, James, do you want to start off with your your three? Yes, yeah. Okay, so my number three. Um, I had a think about this. I thought I'm gonna need, I'm gonna need something light. If I'm stuck on this desert island, I'm gonna need something that's not going to depress me. I don't want it to drag me in too much. I don't wanna. I, I don't necessarily want to cry. I'm gonna be upset enough as it is. So, uh, and it's a bit of a cheat here uh, because I haven't actually seen it more than once yet. But I am assuming that I will be able to see it multiple times based on a number of things. I'm talking about a film that came out over here just this year. Um, I've only ever been to see two films uh, in the cinema twice. One of those was Honey, I Shrunk the Kids uh, when I was very young, I promise. Uh, and the other one was Independence Day, again, people's birthday parties. This one, I came re- I've come really close to seeing this again in the cinema. Um, and I'm talking about The Muppets. Okay. I cannot shut up to anyone about the Muppets and how brilliant it is. I went to see it purely based on the fact that uh, Brett McKenzie from Flight of the Concords did the music. I'm a big Flight of the Concords fan. And I thought, I'm going to go and see it based on that. I don't have any particular affinity with the Muppets. I knew who they were. I'd seen them on chat shows. I'd never seen the Muppet show when I was... I'd seen Muppet Babies, I think, when I was younger. But um, So I went with an open mind probably helped that I was in a completely deserted cinema, which is my idea of heaven, um, sat there, and I had the broadest grin for 90 minutes that I have ever had in the cinema. It opens with a big musical number. Now, I know that won't go down well or something. I absolutely adored this massive musical number. Jason Siegel is charming and hip. Well, he's basically the same Jason Siegel you see in every Jason Siegel movie, like... Uh, I love you, man, and forgetting Sarah Marshall. But it works in this film. It's got Amy Adams in. I'm in love with Amy Adams. Uh, she's fantastic and enchanted. She's done some really good acting work as well. But she is just Amy Adams in this movie. And again, it works. But the Muppets are fantastic. The music is fantastic. It's the only film I've ever walked out of the cinema and gone to my local HMV and bought the soundtrack for before I even went back to the office. Okay. I have listened to that soundtrack almost every day for the last two months now. I cannot shut up about this. I think this film would keep me happy and it would bring music to my heart and that is why The Muppets is my number three. And also, if you have the liability of a child washing up on this desert island with you, you can just plonk them in front of this film and get on and build a shelter or something. Exactly. I I can go off and forage and things like that and know that the Muppets is taking care of them. I am, I've am. i got an 18-month-old daughter. I am counting down the days This is until this is released on Blu-ray so that I've got something else to stick her in front of because I am sick of watching Home Alone and uh, The Little Mermaid. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I need something else and the Muppets is what I think she's going to love. Uh, I, I've seen the Muppets. It was, I, I absolutely loved it as well. Maybe not quite to the same extent as you, but <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a very good film. And, but but I like Muppet Show, you know the actual TV show. Okay, it's uh, it's a bit of a nostalgia smile as well for me, not just the uh, lovely musical numbers. Although I thought he, he won the Oscar, didn't he, Brett? For uh, yeah, the songs. Uh, am I a man or a Muppet? Oh, yeah. Brett McKenzie writes some of the best songs around today. Full stop. 
<laughs> I'm sorry, I'm going to be hyperbolic now. <laughs> but he really does. He also is responsible for I'll Be the Racist Dragon, which is one of the funniest little sketches exactly. slash songs ever. Yeah. So uh, he, get, he, gets, he gets a vote just for that. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed the Muppets. I thought it was, it was really funny. It sort of stayed true to the whole traditional Muppets thing while also not being stale. And they also sort of were aware of, of their own history and were like using their own history as jokes, which was, which was really nice. It wasn't just trying to repeat tired old, old things. It was like poking for it themselves, which I thought really made it a bit more yes. the usual sort of reboot of a franchise. But, um, and the new Muppet, I'm not really spoiling anything here, but Jason Siegel's brother is like a Muppet somehow. <laughs> I love the fact they don't even explain it. It's just, you know, guess what? Jason Siegel, he's got a Muppet who's a brother. Yeah. Deal with it. <laughs> the, they don't even question it. It's never, yeah. no, it's just, that's, that's just how it is. Um, but I thought he was really good and it's sort of the, the whole, you know, the way it comes together as, as it goes along was really good. And some of the lines I was, I was laughing out loud quite a lot. Yeah. Um, there's some- there's some great cameos in it. And um, I've got to say as well, Chris Cooper, uh, really great, serious actor. I know him best from The Born Identity. He's a proper hard, grizzled actor. Chris Cooper just has fun, complete fun, uh, as the evil Tex Richmond, the oil billionaire coming to destroy yeah. the Muppets. It's absolutely fun. And it is a really great family film. Uh, what's your next film then on the list? My next film. Okay, um. This is a film. It's from 1990. I needed, I need a little bit of grittiness here. I need a bit of action. And if this, if I ever see this film on television, no matter what part of the film it's at, I will then sit and watch it through to the end, which I think it, that was one of the key ingredients of the films I was having to choose here. If it's on television, am I going to sit and watch it to the end, no matter how late it is? Um, it's Goodfellas. Um, it may not be the best gangster film of all time. I think that's probably The Godfather, and I think most people would come round to that way of thinking. But Goodfellas has got such a brilliant universe. It's got great characters. It's got great lines. It's got even great tiny little characters like um, uh, Jimmy Two Times. Uh, I'm going to get the papers, get the papers. I love him. Um, it's got a fantastic soundtrack. It just it draws me in. Um, brilliant performances from De Niro, um, I, I've never seen Joe Pesci better uh, than in that film. Like I said earlier, I've seen Home Alone seventy times now, so <laughs> I, I know my Joe Pesci. Um, it, yeah, it it is funny, and it also taught me how to cook garlic as well. You need to use a razor blade to uh, cut it so it dissolves in the oil. So it's actually going to teach me cooking tips for uh, if I don't know does garlic grow wild on desert I, island? No, I'm I not didn't. sure, but um, but yeah, I, it just. I I love it. I think I personally think it's Scorsese's best film, um, and yeah, and I'm sure you've both at least seen Goodfellas. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very good choice. And your final pick to keep you entertained on these barren My nights final pick. on the I island. I went a bit left field here actually, because at one point until earlier this afternoon, I had uh, this is Spinal Tap on my list, uh, which I love. I think it's the funniest, one of the funniest films of all time. Uh, Christopher Guest. But then earlier this afternoon, I sat down and watched Best in Show. And it's a 2000 film and it is directed, written by Christopher Guest. The same improvisation going on. It's basically about, it's a mockumentary about a dog show, a bit like Crofts in America. I think it is as funny as Spinal Tap. 
but it has more heart. It's got fantastic characters, and it's got an amazing cast. Uh, Eugene Levy's in it. He's brilliant. Uh, Catherine O'Hara. It's got Parker Posey, who, again, I absolutely adore. And this was the first film where I ever discovered Fred Willard, who people probably now know more as... Um, What's the name? Alison Hannigan's uh, dad in the American Pie films. Uh, he was in Wally as the president of Earth and that kind of thing. But he plays a co-commentator at the dog show and he completely steals the show. This film has got some of the best lines I've heard in the film full stop. And it is about, it is about dog owners and a dog show. It is not a universe that is glamorous or that I'm interested in, but their characters and their, the way they act. And the story has just got so much heart that I cannot help but watch this film when it's rarely on television. But more often than not, I'll just pick it up off the shelf and put the DVD on and watch it because I, I honestly think it is one of the funniest films of all time. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I've, I've never heard of that film before in my life, but I might <laughs> check it out on the back of that review. So I just want to quickly summarise your three films, James. So, yeah, my, my top three were uh, The Muppets this year. Uh, Goodfellas and Best in Show and yeah, there were so many great also runs, but I'll come on to them uh, when we when we round up everyone else's choices. And Jerry, how about your first film? Uh, I also had similar thinking in that I would need a bit of light relief, particularly if I was stuck on a desert island for some unknown reason. But I was fortunate enough to have like solar panels with me or something <laughs> to power this this DVD player, whatever. So uh, I went for Airplane because. I figured that it would be sort of a comedy film that we've all seen it a lot of times. Or well, I'd, I hope most people have seen it uh, at least once. Um, and even though you've seen it a lot of times, it's still funny. The lines are still fresh. There's loads of great one-liners in it. And this is, it's so silly and stupid that it, it would kind of make you forget the fact that you, you sat on a desert island on your own watching films. So uh, I went for it on that basis. It's uh, yeah. pretty much my criteria. I, I, I love airplane. I think Air, airplane was part. Uh, airplane was on my also runs as well, uh, and I think there was something about films which don't actually have much of a plot, but are just a number of really funny set pieces just strung out together. Uh, and I, I agree with you. I think airplane is still funny today. The lines and it's one of those when even if you've heard the line fifty times, if you hear it on screen delivered again, you, you laugh and you can't help it. Yeah, it still it still somehow manages to make you chuckle. Like even I think part of it is like a memory chuckle because you remember how much you laughed at it. Like the last fifty times that you saw it, yeah. you still laugh. Bizarre, but it's, it's a great film. And as you say, it's like it's the best example of stringing together a load of ludicrous situations into a like a rough. So uh, well, it's a storyline of sorts, but it's 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 all set up to make particular funny situations, and it's the best example I think of just stringing together a number of ludicrous things to make to make funny things happen if you if, if that makes sense uh how about your second film uh my second film i couldn't really choose again but i went for i thought you know i'll have a bit of light relief and then i would go completely the other way and go for something a bit more profound so i went for i couldn't choose between two bergman films so i went for the seventh seal in the end um classic film uh, basically, a guy comes back, and he's a knight in the Middle Ages, comes back from the Crusades, and he meets Death, and he manages to stall Death by playing a game of chess with him. Um, 
and you know he, he wanders off and there's there's all sorts of sort of philosophical musings. Uh, it's a great film. There's loads of stuff going on with it. There's there's several layers to it. There's lots of symbolism. There's lots of so it asks it asks questions. It makes you think. It makes you you really uh, question certain aspects of of life and humanity. And it's pretty uh, about as deep as film can get, really. So went for completely the opposite criteria to my previous selection and went for uh, something nice and serious. Although there was the the concern that it might make me a bit depressed. <laughs> I'm on an island on my own and just contemplating the sort of futility of of life. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll be. I'll put my hand up here and say that is one of the great classic films that I haven't managed to get around to seeing. Um, I, they, all I know about it is the uh, the Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey parody of it. Um, but it, it sounds fantastic. Um, and I am going to have to watch that now. I, I'm excited by watching that. So thank you. It, it really is a great film. Have you, have you seen it, Steve? I've not seen it, but it sounds like one that I'm going to be watching shortly no I think I've succeeded if I've uh, got a couple more, more people to watch it I only watched it uh, last year it was because I'm trying to do the IMDB to top 250 I watched it because of that I never really give it a second thought before that but it really is a brilliant film and, well I've watched a few of his other films as well Bergman is just a great director and like so many of his films are, are such a high caliber so uh, it's definitely the best place to start if you, if you look into his work as well and your final film, the Desert Island movies. My final one uh, was Pan's Labyrinth, which is, uh, there's, there's a few reasons for that. Um, it's the story of a little girl called Ophelia uh, just after the Spanish Civil Wars ended. Uh, she moves with her mother to um, basically an army outpost on the frontier uh, because her mum has decided to marry, marry uh, this horrendous villainous captain uh, in Franco's army uh, who's hunting down rebels more or less left to her own devices and she starts encountering fairies and fauns and this whole fantastical world uh, goes off on this sort of big adventure um, and it brings up the whole question of you know reality versus imagination and you don't really know whether she's really experiencing these things or whether it's in her head um, and that sort of ambiguity is, is played with all the way through the film. Uh, it's a topic that's very close to my heart as well because I'm, I'm currently doing a master's which is dealing directly with Franco and fascism, the, the civil war and all that kind of period. So um, it has that, that aspect. Plus, I can speak Spanish, so I don't need subtitles on it, which is it's quite nice. Uh, it's really well directed. It's really dark. It's, it's got some, some lovely sudden violence in it, which without wanting to give anything away, it, it really is quite shocking in the sort of sudden, uh, severe, violent outbursts in it. And then it's, it's normal. Uh, also has the sort of, a lot of discussion about childhood and innocence and all that kind of stuff. There's loads going on with it. Has one of the most brilliantly ambiguous endings uh, in any film, um, and it's just really well directed. It looks really cool. Uh, it's just a great all-round film. So I've, I've probably seen it like four or five times now, and it's still still a great film. So that's why I went on there. Um, it's directed by uh, Del Toro, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. This is another one of those that I've actually still got in the cellophane at home here and I've not watched. And do you know what? When later we talk about some films I've watched this week, I'm going to wonder why I've watched them and still left that in the cellophane. <laughs> because I know this is a brilliant film. People have told me it's a brilliant film and I've still not forced myself to watch it for some reason. But um, Del Toro's doing The Hobbit this year, isn't he? Is that 
Or was he, he meant to be doing The Hobbit? Or I, I can't I remember. Whether he's now dropped out because it was delayed and all sorts of stuff was going on, wasn't it? And I think he had to drop out because he had scheduling conflicts. But ah, right. I think he has been involved in the process at the very least. So okay. In fact, I've just looked him up on the uh, IMDb, and he's not done anything since uh, Hellboy Two. Oh dear. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Tim, Tim from like that, but uh, yeah, no, I've, I'm I'm intrigued because I've obviously there's a few iconic images that I've seen from the film. It sounds like a brilliant story. Um, so yeah, no, another one I'll I'll add to my list. And also, I'm doing the same as you, Jerry. I'm trying to get through the IMDb top two fifty, and I know this is also on the top two fifty. So I've got no excuse not to watch it now. And going back to the Hobbit, Tim from the Office is playing Bilbo, so maybe. He tricks Gollum by putting the ring in some jelly. <laughs> <laughs> we can no, only hope. See that. Um, this is where I expose myself as the simpleton I am with the three movies <laughs> that I've chosen. Definitely a layman when it comes to films. This list isn't to suggest that I don't like good films. These are just the three films that I could probably watch endlessly stuck on a desert island. Now, there's some films that I didn't want to take part of a trilogy or series of films because only taking one of them would just annoy the hell out of me that I didn't have the rest so no Star Wars, Back to the Future Indiana Jones, The Godfather, they're all staying Good at point. home. Good yeah, point. that's exactly uh, uh, what I was thinking as well. No, nothing that's going to make me think too hard because I just kind of don't really want to well nothing with an ambiguous ending or anything like that which I might want to go online or discuss with other people because I have no one to sort of discuss it with <laughs> and it will really <laughs> frustrate me. Uh, if you manage to get a solar panel and like <laughs> a DVD player or an endless supply of batteries, you, you might well get internet coverage in this <laughs> and, in this situation. And nothing that's got... This happened to me in Cabin in the Woods. It, it annoyed me until I could get out of the cinema. You know when you see someone in a film and he's he's a small <laughs> actor, you know, not a star actor, and you think, where have I seen him before? And it happened to me with the, the two... You obviously knew his name, the actor's name, James. Yeah. But the two, one of the two guys at the beginning, the one who wasn't wearing the glasses, who wasn't bold, I was thinking... From, as soon as I saw him, I thought, I know him from, I've seen him in something. What have I bloody seen him in? And when, as soon as I got back into the car, I got my phone out. I had to go on IMB just to find out who he was. And if that happened to me on the desert island, it would probably make me go mad. So You've re- you've actually thought through the realities of this. Yeah, and I like that. I thought, you, you've thought, you've probably, imagine, because imagine if you were washed up on a desert island and Inception was the only film that washed up with you. Right, and you've you... never seen it before. And like you say. And you, you wouldn't want to go to sleep, go, would you? Well, who am I going to talk to that about? Yeah. So the first one I went for is Shaun of the Dead. It's probably, nice. it's probably one of my favourite comedies. I'm also a fan of zombie films. So you've got two, two birds with one stone there. Um, I like pretty much all of Edgar Wright and um, Simon Pegg's work. Sort of where they write themselves, not sort of Simon Pegg's cameos or appearances in Mission Impossible films, but you know, the stuff that they write. Sean Ledead's brilliant. It's got a lot of nods to other films or music, like most of his, but if you, most of the stuff that you get of his, if you put the sort of DVD extras on, you can get a trivia track and it tells you all the little nods and everything they're making and everything, which is quite easy to spot in some of them, but some of them you won't spot. It's a really funny film. That's my first film that I'm picking. I think that's a great choice. It's a good, solid choice. I really like Shaun of the Dead. Uh, and I think it probably, if it was American and made by an indie director, I think it would probably be in the IMDb Top 250 because it's British and a bit homemade. I think we look down on it a little bit sometimes. Um, 
But I, I think it is one of the best films to come out of this country it, in the last 10 years. It's very funny. There's no bad characters in it, really, out of the main characters. You know, pretty much all of the jokes work. It does give you little nods to other films or music or whatever that you're going to pick up on and sort of smile about. And you probably notice more every time you watch it. And it stands up on repeat viewing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it fits James's criteria. If, if it's on the TV, you, you will sit there and watch it yeah. as well as those films. Yeah. Um, another one, the second film that I've picked, one that I just wanted to sit down, leave my brain at whatever door there is on this island, and <laughs> just and just sit there and watch it and not have to think about anything, just watch stuff blowing up and some really cheesy one-liners. <laughs> but I've gone for one of the better films of that type, I didn't go for Die Hard because then it's part of a series and I wouldn't have the rest of them to watch. I've gone for Independence Day. Ah, I haven't seen that for years. I could, I could watch it, you know, I could probably watch it comfortably once every fortnight. It's just, you know, you know, you know what it's, you know what's going to happen every time. The aliens attack, Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum blow them up. Um, Bill Pullman gives some speech and some crazy man goes and crashes into the big spaceship. But as, and then everyone cigars. Yeah, they don't make decent action films anymore, really. And that, you know, look at the equivalent today of Independence Day, Battleships and Transformers. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, it's basically big robots having sex with each other is, yeah. is all I see on t- on. But you're exactly right. It was back when blockbusters, summer blockbusters meant something. Yeah, you got Armaged- Armageddon was close with Independence Day for me because that is just Bruce Willis going up to space with Ben Affleck and trying to knock a meteor out of the sky. Brilliant. Yeah, it, it's, it's a simple concept. It doesn't take itself too yeah. seriously. It's all out action, some cheesy one-liners, some funny lines. Brilliant. And yeah. there's some epic, epic special effects in it as well, like they're all blowing up the White House, blowing up whole cities. Yeah. yeah. You've got the typical British guy at the end when they tap in the Morse code out to blow up the spaceship, the traditional, typical British accent, even though no one spoke like that since World War Two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and and it's got Jeff Goldblum. What, what's happened to Jeff Goldblum? Where has he gone? I want he's, Jeff Goldblum. He's back. waiting desperately for Jurassic Park Four. <laughs> <laughs> no one else is. I mean, Sam Neill's got Alcatraz now. No one else is waiting for it, but he is. Oh, Jeff, come back, Jeff. And the final it's film on Broadway, actually, a few years ago. Oh God, actually, it's about seven years ago. But he was excellent on that. But I don't know whether you saw he's him still... in the flesh. Oh yes, I'm so jealous. And I saw him on Broadway, so I don't know whether he's doing like Broadway and sort of theatre plays now. He was very good. So maybe maybe they've kept him off. And the final film I picked, everybody loves, surely, especially as we all come together on the Football 365 forum, a sporting underdog story. Oh, oh. And there's a lot of films that could have made the list in here. Mighty Ducks, but again, two's my favourite, but it's part of a trilogy. I don't think I could live without the other two. It's cool. Who's the one at the Olympics, isn't it? The, yeah, the, uh, the Junior Olympics or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, with the Finnish 30-year-olds in yeah. the kids' teams. Wait, like, oh, where, you, where, where they bring again the best of the Ducks with the best of the ice hockey players from oh, yeah, around... Who is the know, best film, definitely. Cool, there's Cool Runnings, could have picked that. There's probably, you know, more serious ones as well. And there's Mike Bassett, England manager, same kind of thing. The Replacements, one of the only three good films Keanu Reeves has ever made. The other two <laughs> being... Bill and Ted's excellent adventure in the in the first Matrix film. 
but there's I've... no more Matrix films. No, uh, there was only one. No, Let's leave it there. <laughs> there was one Matrix film. <laughs> Don't remind me of what happened Matrix after. The only one, yeah, that's that's the only one that existed. I think yeah. we should just agree a rule from now on that the Matrix nice. was not a series. It was just the Matrix. Yeah, there's, 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 there's... taken the Matrix in. Yeah. in I, I nearly had the Matrix as one of my films that I could watch and, endlessly. And there's any, uh, you know, any given Sunday, something like that. But no, I've gone for Escape to Victory. Oh, nice. Classic Lots film. Lots as well. Some Lots. great, some great, uh, some great people in that. From film. the likes of our dealers and co-prince to John Walk and Mick Summervy. <laughs> They're all in there. Pretty much all of the Ipswich town team of that era. But basically, if you don't know the story, why not? And if you, well, basically, prisoner of war camp, World War Two. Michael Caine's, uh, uh, West Ham and England in, well, England international, stuck in his prison camp. And they just like to have a little kick about. The guards challenge into a game. It turns into a big propaganda machine for the Nazis, where they end up basically the German team take on the best of the POWs. But Sly Stallone worms his way into the team as the goalkeeper. Despite having no previous experience, he just seems to be mates with Pele, who's Jamaican, and gets into the team. Um, <laughs> and. You know, Sliced Alone organises the escape for the team. They could escape at half-time, but the team don't want to. And they end up drawing four all and escaping. I don't think I've ruined the film for anyone because they've probably all seen it. <laughs> but, I mean, I could watch... I could probably... Where I could watch Independence Day once a fortnight, I could probably watch Escape the Victory every day. Yeah, I, I, it is a brilliant... And what I love is that clearly the budget stretched to a few stars and then a few big footballers. And then they went, oh, well, we've only got about... I don't know, 10 grand left. Let's just get the rest of the Ipswich team in. Because mm. there's about eight Ipswich players in this team. Yeah, there's, there's, correctly. there's a quite a lot of Ipswich. There's a few star names. Like I said, yeah. Pele, Ardiles, Bobby Moore's, uh, Bobby in, it, Moore's in it, yeah. Co-Prins, and there's a couple other sort of big Eastern European names. And then it's largely the Ipswich town team from that era, <laughs> plus the West Brom goalie who had to have his arm broken in the film so Sly Stallone could play in goal. Yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> The film's Casey Keller, as it might be. So, yeah, that's my three picks. Not by any means the best films of all time, but certainly the three (laughs) that I enjoy quite a lot. Well, Um, that's the criteria, isn't it? You wouldn't pick the the sort of the objectively best films. It's kind of the ones that you have to watch. That's why it's so difficult. Yeah. I I was the same as you. I I was like, couldn't pick Star Wars because I I couldn't pick one of them and then not be able to the other three. I mean, if you'd never seen Star Wars, you could probably take A New Hope because it kind of stand, it could stand alone. Yeah, that's true. But but if you've seen Star Wars, then you'd want to take all three, not all six, because three don't exist, obviously. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the original trilogy, you'd want to take all of them. Yeah. No, I agree. I I, I had to cut some films that I absolutely, you know, I had to cut, uh, I, I nearly had Groundhog Day, but then I realised that living the same day over and over again on film <laughs> while I was on a desert island as well would would send me absolutely mental. Um, yeah. and you could... I also dropped Toy Story. I dropped Labyrinth. Uh, I watch Labyrinth every day, basically every school holiday between the ages of 8 and 12. So I think that could have gone on there. Uh, <laughs> North by Northwest I could watch every day as well. Uh, I, I know on, uh, have you two got any that you really wanted to put on? but couldn't quite fit on. Was there any real close calls? Uh, like you said, Independence and Armageddon, Independence yeah. and Armageddon were quite close. Um, not really, because like I said, a lot of them were part of series or trilogies. Yeah. Or, 
I wouldn't have minded taking a, a film that I could really like watching when I was growing up, something like the Goonies or something mm. like that. That you know, if I could have a fourth, it would have been some film that I really liked then. Something, yeah, like yeah. the Goonies oh, or. Um, I think this fitted into that. It was almost like it could be Desert Island, or it could be it's the summer holiday and you're ten. What film are you going to watch every day of that yeah. summer holiday? It's a very similar criteria, which I think is why Labyrinth nearly got on mine. Back to the Future, I thought about and things like that. Those were the films I did watch every day for what felt like eternity over the summer holidays. Uh, anyway, we need to start wrapping up part two now. But quickly, what suggestions did you get from uh, the people on the Football Three Six Five forum? Okay, well, there there was a lot of diehard love, I'll be honest. Uh, I a lot think of My I Neighbor can't... Totoro as well. Pardon, sorry? There was a lot of love for My Neighbor Totoro as well. That, that... Yeah, I, I don't know. That was the first I'd heard of that film. Do you know anything about it, Jerry? Yeah, yeah, great film. Is it? Okay, what what quick summary of that one? It's a uh, Studio Ghibli film, you know, like the whole Japanese animation. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, it's a bit of a fantasy. To- Totoro, the, the neighbor in question, is like this giant, cuddly bear but not a cuddly bear it's a cuddly big cuddly creature anyway that helps these kids out it's sort of a childhood fantasy it's a nice happy film okay why people put it on but i didn't realize it was so loved to be honest it's uh it's not it's not a film that most people have seen i wouldn't have thought so it's quite unusual to have so much love for it oh excellent well, like I say, Die Hard got a lot of love. Predator got mentioned a few times, which is probably my favourite Arnie film, I'll be honest. Predator was close with me. Um, one really interesting one, actually. Uh, Rocky said, stop making sense by talking heads. And I thought, yes, concert films. Um, a concert film, I think that, that would work for me. Mine would probably be uh, David Bowie's Ziggy Stardust uh, and the Spiders from Mars Live. Uh, from 1974, I think it is. Um, but yeah, I thought a bit of music would do nicely, actually. So a concert film, I quite like that. So I think that, and Airplane also got mentioned as well. Great minds. Yeah. <laughs> there was also a lot of mentions of uh, taking some kind of porn film as well, which I, I thought was interesting about the, the minds of the forum, really. Yeah, it, it, it sums up the forum, uh, definitely. But I, I thought about that and I thought, if you only had one porn film for the rest of your life, after a little bit of time, surely it's the effect would be gone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's again, and uh, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure I had any any even racy scenes in mind. I'm going to have to rely on my imagination. On that note, we'll end part two. <laughs> um, part three is called The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. And we'll tell you about that when we get there. This is the good, the bad and the ugly, the part of the podcast where we give a quick review to some of the films we've been watching this week, whether they were cinema releases that aren't our main featured release or whether they were on DVD, television, Netflix, love film, whatever mode of watching films you've got. Um, James, what have you been watching this week? Well, actually, it's quite nice. It's uh, worked out quite nicely. I think I have got a good, a bad, and an ugly film. So that's, that's worked out well for me. Um, my good film, I'll start there. As part of watching the IMDb Top 250, 
I got to watch Rocky for the first time this week. I can't believe I'm I'm 32 and I've never seen Rocky before. How have you managed to avoid Rocky until? I, I have no idea. Um, is I've seen bits. I, I know of it, but it's just it's just passed me by completely. Um, it's one of them I, I films that my parents. It's one of them films that you sort of assume that everyone's seen. There's, exactly. cer- there's certain films that you just take for granted that everybody in the world has seen, and that's yeah. probably one of them. I know. I, I blame my parents. My parents didn't ever say you should watch Rocket. It, it should be on the national curriculum or something. I, we we can go into the deficiencies of our national school system some other day. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I can't believe I hadn't seen it before. What really struck me though was how bloody good Sylvester Stallone was in it. Because we take it for granted now that he's a mumbling, cliched action hero, uh, but he is charming. He has a uh, there is a moral ambiguity about his character in the film. Uh, he is, he is the film. He lives the film. Um, and it, I find, I found it really inspiring, actually. Uh, I put the soundtrack on my, um, on my running playlist for when I go jogging. I'm really excited about that. You're, you're a cliche um, now. Pardon? You're a cliche now doing that. I am, uh, yeah. Uh, so it, it steps. steps. <laughs> The thing is, it came on during my cool down the other day. So doing the triumphant jumping around after I'd actually finished five minutes ago didn't quite work, unfortunately. But um, but what I I didn't realize the story. Stallone was down to his last hundred dollars, and he was in the process of selling his dog because he couldn't afford to feed his dog when someone offered to buy the script off of him. They offered him three hundred and fifty grand, and he turned it down, saying, "I'm only going to sell it to you if you cast me in the film." Because I think. The studio wanted Robert Redford. Um, and he turned down 300... He worked for union rates because he believed in the film so much. Uh, and so just the whole package of this film, absolutely brilliant. It's also got Carl Weathers in, who is not only also in Predator, but also in Arrested Development. The man is... I, I love Carl Weathers. Carl Weathers is really funny in this. He's brilliant. He's not yeah. Lando in Star Wars either, as one of no. my friends insisted on... <laughs> it being fact, probably to the point that it really, probably just because it really annoyed me, he probably just kept it up. <laughs> I would, I, I, I wouldn't surprise me if George Lucas went back and digitally reinserted yeah. Carl Weathers in that role at <laughs> yeah. some point in the future. I wouldn't put it past him. Um, but I, I've watched Warrior recently, also because of this IMDb challenge, and it made me realise even more how bad Warrior is compared to I. I, I might get some... I, I don't know what you two think of I think Warrior is the most overrated film of the last 10 years. Everything that was good about Rocky, Warrior left out. I, I think... Uh, and just kept a mumbling main character who I didn't care about. I, but Rocky, brilliant. I think one of the best things about Rocky is the actual character of Rocky. So a lot of boxers, whatever level they're boxing at, whether this is on film or in real life, are really arrogant. Mm. Like, really arrogant. You know, especially if you look at who's boxing today actually proper professional boxers just arrogant to the point of being moron rocky in the film is just quite humble and quite you know he's not yeah. arrogant he's not like oh you know well i'm given a shot of the title i probably deserve it i'm really good i'm gonna knock him out he's just like quite modest and he just doesn't want to look stupid no and uh, I, I think we can i can certainly empathize with that he doesn't want to look stupid in front of his new girlfriend no uh, that's 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 an everyman thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, so what about the... You've done the good, I'm guessing. What about the bad? Yeah. The bad. Um, 
today, actually, I watched the Darjeeling Limited. Um, first, I am a big Wes Anderson film, or at least I think I am. Okay, <laughs> I've got a weird relationship with Wes Anderson, where I own half of his films. I have now seen them all. This is the first time I watched Darjeeling Limited, and I'm not sure I like them, but I'm not sure if I'd watch them again. Uh, with a lot of them, I, I do love the Royal Tenenbaums. Um, I really, really loved Rushmore at the time. But um, this was uh, Wes Anderson's 2007 follow-up to The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. I was round at my uh, parents-in-law's house and I was alone and they had Darjeeling Limited on the shelf. So I thought, I'll watch this finally. It's got your usual Wes Anderson favourites like Owen Wilson, Jason Schwartzman, Bill Murray and Angelica Houston in it. Um, but it was so willfully quirky. It was like watching Zoe Deschanel ironically dancing to the Macarena at a children's birthday party while drinking baby sham. It was just, it, he'd got, it was a parody of his earlier work and I couldn't get into the film at all. Um, it's really, really just trying to be all weird and hipster. And yeah, I can imagine so many students loving this film, hipster students loving this film. I can see that. And then about halfway through the film, uh, it just gets really dark all of a sudden. And I just didn't care about the characters. And I thought, you know, Wes Anderson has made much better films than this. And I'm hoping that his new film out this year is going to be a return to form because this really, really disappointed me. And what about The Ugly? The Ugly. I finally got round to watching Hobo with a Shotgun. Uh, and this is what I mean. I could have watched Pan's Labyrinth. But I went on to Netflix and I watched Hobo with a Shotgun. It's got Rutger Hauer in. It's from last year. And it, it's basically... Uh, did you watch the Grindhouse film? Uh, the Grindhouse double bill? Um, yeah, I have there. Yeah. It's it's based I'm on very what... excited about Hobo with a Shotgun, so I'm quite worried now that you're going to tear it to pieces. Uh, do you know, I was really excited as well, based on the two-minute trailer that was in the Grindhouse uh, yeah. double bill. Yeah. Now... The problem is, it's a brilliant two-minute idea, in my opinion. Rutger Hauer is great in it. I love Rutger Hauer, from uh, Blade Runner to the Guinness ads. <laughs> but, you know, you forget he's in Batman Begins. He's brilliant in The Hitcher. Um, Rutger Hauer lends this film a credibility it really doesn't deserve. It's almost like when Tevez turned up at West Ham and kept them up. Despite them being terrible, everyone was going, what the hell is he doing here? And, you know... It, Everything around him looks terrible. Everything around Rutger Hauer in this film is terrible. I can't tell if it's meant to be set in the future or the past. It's this weird dystopian town where some weird gangsters run it and they go around killing people in the streets and no one really does anything about it. And just to the ugly part of it, the dialogue is terrible. Or some people, I think it's in the realms of some people might find this film so bad that it's good. I just found it really, really bad. Uh, I've just got a couple of lines. There's, at one point, one of the main bad guys says, um, some girl says, oh, aren't you going to let it slide? He's about to kill someone. Aren't you going to let it slide? He's just a kid. He says, the only thing I'm going to let slide is my dick in your pussy. Uh, I just thought, <laughs> such a clunky line. And then he says, yeah, and then he said, do you know how I can tell I'm making you wet because you're making my dick thirsty? Now, that doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> and th these are delivered with a straight face. Um, it was, there's, at one point, there's just topless women playing piñata with a human body. There are strippers dancing in blood. Um, I, I, I really, 
really. I, I, I wanted to love this film in a kind of bad taste. Like you say, switch your brain off, bad taste, have some fun. But I just found it, it, it wasn't funny enough uh, and it was just nasty. Uh, Jerry, how about what films you've been watching this week? Okay, uh, I didn't quite have a good, a bad and the ugly. Unfortunately, I didn't watch enough bad films recently to, to make it. That's always a good thing. <laughs> I've got a few good and one really, really ugly and bad. So we'll start with the good ones. Uh, I'm going to run on about this because this is just a brilliant film. Uh, God Bless America. I don't know if you ended up watching it yet, James. Have you, have you seen it? No, I've not seen it. I'm really looking forward to it, especially after Hobo with a Shotgun, which is about... <laughs> I know it's about cleaning the streets, getting rid of all the trash in society, and that didn't work, but I love that idea, and so I'm really looking forward to God Bless America. Yeah, by the sounds of it, this is everything that, that Hobo with a Shotgun should have been. It's basically a guy called Frank, middle-aged, he's sort of despairing at modern culture and what America's become. I mean, you know, at the start of the film, he, he's, he's got a horrible ex-wife and a, a really annoying, horrible, spoiled daughter um, who's living with the ex-wife. Uh, he loses his job, and then he gets... To top it all off, he gets diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumour. So he, he sat there with a gun in his mouth, ready to ready to end it all. And then he's got the TV on and he sees a Super Sweet 16 style programme. It's not officially called Super Sweet 16 for licensing reasons, obviously, but it quite clearly is. And there's a horrible, whiny, ungrateful girl on it. And he decides that he's going to kill her first before he goes and kills himself. Now, it sounds like a bad sort of B-movie, but... Um, it's all, it's, it, it sounds like a horror film, basically, but it's, it's actually a, a black comedy. It's the blackest of black comedies. Um, but he goes and does that, and, you know, the murder itself is quite funny. And then while he's doing that, he meets Roxy, who's one of her classmates, and she joins him. They go on this big sort of journey, adventure, slash killing spree, uh, killing all the people who are ruining society and, and who are, you know, succumbing to all the, the horrible trappings of, of modern culture at its worst. It's, brilliantly funny um, some of the lines in it are just superb like the interplay between the two main characters which are played by Joel Murray which is Bill Murray's brother who um, if anybody watches Mad Men he is uh, Rumston in, the, in, in Mad Men oh, okay, yeah. the rambling drunk guy um, and the young girl is a girl called Tara Lynn Bart who I've never heard of before I don't know if she's been in anything else but she is superb the interplay between them is, is excellent Um it's, it's just really funny, even though it sounds quite, you know, out there and, and horrible. There's, there is a bit of gore in it, but it's not overdone. Anyone with, like, a bit of derision or scepticism about popular culture is going to find loads to like. Um, it was violent, but not excessive. Uh, it was funny, but it never lost that sort of serious message and criticism and satire that was underpinning it all. Uh, really, it was well acted. It was well directed. And his rants, Frank's rants are just priceless. They're absolutely brilliant. He just tears monoculture and, you know, American Idol style uh, talent shows apart. So it's really, really probably the best film I've seen all year. And just to top it all off, the guy who directs it is called Bobcat Goldthwait. So you know it's going to be good when a guy with that kind of name is directing it, really. Um, of course, um, Bobcat Goldthwaite was uh, Zed in the Police Academy films as well. The guy with the kind of screechy high voice. <laughs> Him. He seems so, to have moved on from that slight yes. <laughs> to, a, to a more nuanced kind of. What, kind of it's, it's absolutely brilliant, yeah. What, it really is good. What's next then? What else have you watched? Um, also, as part of my IMDb quest, uh, I've watched two old Kubrick films, Paths of Glory, which is briefly um, the story of uh, four 
oh, is it three three soldiers in in, the, in World War One? It's saying uh, the French lines who were um, on trial for for cowardice. I won't go into it, but it's, it's sort of an underappreciated early Kubrick film. Really, really great film. Probably nine or you'd give it nine or ten out of ten. It's a great film. Really well acted. That, that's all I need to say, really. And again. Uh, another one that doesn't really need much comment was um, Doctor Strangelove, which I'd never seen before. Um, that's just a, 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 an all-time classic. It's a great film. So they I love Doctor Strangelove, yeah. Um, see, to me, now, that is one that I think everyone's seen. So I, I'm I'm in a slightly different universe to everyone. But no, Doctor Strangelove is amazing. And it's Peter Sellers. It's the absolute finest. Um, yeah, another one of the funniest films I've ever seen. And when you think of the time it was made at the height of the Cold War, that they were making those jokes about nuclear war. It's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, apparently I, I remember it was originally intended to be like quite serious and a straight sort of thing, but when they actually got into the material, they realised it was just it was going to be hilarious, so they just made it really funny. <laughs> I, I like the idea that they tried to do a really serious film about it, and they were like, no, this is just ludicrous. Let's just let's just take the piss out of it. So uh, the ugly film I saw, uh, oh god, is extremely loud and incredibly close. Oh, I believe was nominated for for Academy Awards and all sorts of awards uh, this year, and just oh, there are no words for for how annoying that film was. It was really the the main character was a little kid who was just annoying, and his voice was really annoying as well. And considering he was the narrator of the film, it, it got very very tired very very quickly. But it was just really bad. It was over sentimental, and it was sort of I thought it was a bit. A bit disrespectful with the whole 9-11 thing. I don't want to ruin it in case anybody, for some bizarre reason, has a desire to see this film. But it's my tip to avoid this like the plague because it's it's a terrible film. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else has seen it, but I, I really hated it. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm oh, killing I've anything. avoided it because I've heard so many reviews exactly the same as yours. And I'm tempted, as soon as it's on streaming or on television, I'll watch it for curiosity value in the same way that people go to freak shows. Uh, I've heard it is that terrible, um, but I refuse to pay any money for it. No, it really is bad. On the topic of streaming, by the way, uh, God Bless America is not actually, they haven't even set a release date for it yet, but it is on VOD services. That's how it's how it's being oh, okay. distributed, which I thought was really interesting because I've not really come across a film that's being distributed straight to sort of video on demand services. And that's it, really interesting. Ah. It has, I, I think it still has the sort of connotations of like the old straight to straight-to-video films in my head. Do you know what I mean? The fact that it doesn't get a, a full cinema release, I think still have negative connotations, but that seems to be a new model in that they, they put it straight out onto VOD services now. It's uh, definitely something I've seen because I also just, uh, the week before, I saw Werner Herzog's new documentary, Into the Abyss, and I saw that on video on demand as well. And that is actually now uh, streaming on, uh, I think it's streaming on Netflix US. But it's gone, you know, it's only just had its cinema release. And already, it, I think video on demand is the way that a lot of the smaller independent films are going to be released in future. Mm. It, it was an interesting it was an interesting thing because, I mean, it really is a good film. I'm, I'm amazed that it hasn't even got a release date here. It's not out till, till May in the US and it's only limited. But, yeah, it's interesting to see where VOD is going to go because it's quite an unusual way of distributing, really, compared to traditional distribution methods. So, uh it's pretty interesting. I thought that, that they went for, for a widespread release purely on the internet. Uh, I've seen one good, two average, and one very confusing this <laughs> week. <laughs> the good was, I just, because I had a little bit of time to kill, 
stuck on the Inbetweeners movie again. Now, if you don't like the TV program, you're not going to like it. Um, and a lot of a lot of TV programs that go to movie don't really stand up, and it is just like an extended version of the TV program, but the jokes fall a bit flat. But you know the story. It's four lads who aren't the most popular, but they're not exactly losers, hence the name. But they, rather than their typical school setting, they're off on holiday. I can't remember where they go, but you know, one of the typical party island places. And it's still funny. It's you know, all the jokes are kind of the same, but it's still pretty funny. It still works. The characters, you know, you do sort of, you don't hate them. You know, they're all pretty decent guys, and you know, it's still a, it's still a pretty funny film. Um, the two average ones I watched in the one was called The Reaping, stars Hilary Swank and Idris Elba of The Wire fame. Um, it's basically well. Uh, Hillary, they they play kind of both of them play a similar character to Scully in the X Files, in which they try and scientifically prove sort of miracles or paranormal things. But all of the ones that they try and solve have a religious element to them, um, and they're invited to a town where the the water in the lake has turned blood red, and it's going through sort of the the the, the ten plagues from the Bible. Um, it was alright, it's nothing brilliant, it's nothing, you know, revolutionary, it's watchable, you kind of want to watch it to the end just to see what happens, but it's not really groundbreaking, and I doubt I'll be watching it again anytime soon. I don't know if any of you have sat through that one. I've, no, I've not even heard of that one. <laughs> no, it's the same, it's, it's completely uh, new to me. So. Um, and I also watched Captain America, as we're going to be reviewing uh, Avengers Assemble next week. Uh, I've seen both Iron Man's and The Incredible Hulk. It was okay. It was, it was a superhero movie. There's a lot of better ones. I mean, everyone probably knows the story of Captain America. It's not as good as both Iron Man's, but then the character of Iron Man's better because Iron Man probably, if you were a superhero, you'd probably want to be Iron Man more than any of the rest because he might not have the best powers out of all the superheroes, but he's, he's probably got the best lifestyle and he's a bit arrogant and cool as well. Um, but yeah, Captain America was quite average. I mean, but it wasn't too bad. It sets, you know, sets up his role in the upcoming Avengers Assemble movie quite nicely. Uh, and the damn right confusing film I've seen was Primer. I don't know if anyone's seen that. Primer, no. Or no, heard of it. Can't explain. Um, it's basically two guys who work for some company, you know, making some technology, technological stuff. End up making something that can is a basically a time traveling device, um, and then it just gets really confusing, and I found it really hard to follow. It might be because I'm a bit of an idiot, but I mean, generally it was just really difficult to follow, and it just wasn't very interesting or fun or engaging or didn't really make you think. And if you want to watch a film about time travel, watch Back to the Future or Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, don't watch Primer, because it really, <laughs> it'll confuse the hell out of you, and you'll think, why am I watching this? Because it's not even that good. I just feel really confused. Okay. <laughs> is there anybody recognisable in it, or not, is it not, an indie film? It's kind, it seems to be kind of an indie film. There's nobody massively recognisable in it. There might be if you watch a lot of sort of American TV, but I didn't really recognise anyone from it. Um, but yeah, I, I did hear quite a few good reviews about it. I don't really know what film they were watching. <laughs> I've just looked it up and apparently it was made for $7,000 so yeah. that's quite impressive yeah <laughs> yeah I... but yeah no 
I don't think I'll rush to add that to my queue though. No, I, I personally wouldn't be rushing to watch it again. Um, so, yeah, what have we got lined up for next week then, James? Okay, well, I'm, I'm, as you know, I love Joss Whedon, so therefore I am very much looking forward to going to see Avengers Assemble later this week and then talking about it on here. Um, I, I'm not a Marvel person. I haven't, I've seen Iron Man, but I haven't seen any of the other films. I haven't seen Thor. I've not seen Captain America. I've not seen Iron Man 2. Uh, I've not even seen The Incredible Hulk. So I've not seen any of the films leading up to this. And I don't know if that's going to be a mistake in, or not. In a way, I don't think you probably need to, as long as you know who the... I think there's a couple of superheroes in the film that haven't even had their own movies. They're just part of the Avengers. Yeah. But I think as long as you know who Iron Man is, Captain America, yeah. the Hulk, uh, you Thor... You know what they do, then yeah. I think you'll be all right. Yeah. Good. I'm excited by that, then. Um, and the other thing, I, I, next week I am off to Sundance, London. Um, not the real Sundance, <laughs> Sundance London. It's at the uh, O2, apparently. Uh, I've managed to get tickets for one of the first UK performances of Safety Not Guaranteed, which I'm really, really excited about. It got a standing ovation at Sundance in January. Uh, the description is three magazine employees head out on assignment to interview a guy who's placed a classified ad seeking a companion for time travel. Um, so it's another time travel independent comedy thing. Uh, it's a feature debut from director Colin Trevorrow and writer Derek Conley. Most importantly for me, it stars Aubrey Plaza, who I adore from her kind of sarcastic, cynical young woman role in the sitcom Parks and Recreation. And she's also the girl who worked in the record store in Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. Uh, yeah. I'm very excited about this film, so I'm hopefully coming back late. Uh, I'm coming back quite late on Sunday, but I'm coming fresh from Sundance. London to uh, talk about it on the pod here next week. And for Triple Bill next week, I believe the theme is child protagonists. Child protagonists. Now, I'm just going to say out there now, I don't want a load of teen movies. I think <laughs> teens are a different kettle of fish. I'm looking for children uh, in our in our Triple Bills there. Um, so, yeah, we're going to be talking about our child protagonist films next week. This pod uh, will be available, uh, hopefully, you're listening to this on a Wednesday as a kind of regular-ish uh, time. We'll see how it, how our busy lives affect it outside of that. You can find me on Twitter at, at the failed critic. Uh, gents, have you got any Twitter handles you want to give out there? Uh, I'm on Twitter as at SteVePN. I'm also part of BornOffside.net. So if you want to listen to about two and a half hours of me talking rather than just an hour... You can listen to me talk about football as well. Just go over to www.bornoffside.net and, um, yeah, you can find that podcast there. Uh, yeah, I'm also on Twitter. I'm at uh, gmacaulay178. I'm, some of my articles are also on uh, Born Offside, although I, I haven't uh, given Steve the pleasure of my presence on the podcast yet, so uh, I'm sure he's going to try and twist my arm to go in on this one. Um also, I'm going to make a prediction now if we're doing child protagonists. If both of you watch Pan's Labyrinth this week, that will be one of the all three. Guaranteed. Um, very interesting. And, and, do you know, I have to watch it this week now. I've got, I need to watch it for the IMDb Top 250. I promise you, I will watch Pan's Labyrinth. And either way, I will talk about it with you next week. And is there a way that any listeners can get hold of us other than the Football 365 forum to, um. Yeah, uh, like I say, 
you can contact me on uh, Twitter at, at the failed critic. Um, I've also got a WordPress where you will be able to download this from and I will leave, uh, you can leave comments on there as well. So leave comments on the post uh, where this comes from. And that is um, the wordpress.failedcritic. Uh, that's it for the first ever Failed Critic podcast. Thanks for listening. Hope you've enjoyed it. Look forward to getting some feedback from all of you. Um, I suppose all that's left now is to say goodbye. Thank you very much. Uh, it's been a pleasure, gentlemen. Goodbye. It's been a pleasure, gents. Just one more thing before we go. I'd like to thank the composer of the music used on this podcast, Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. are on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns